Welcome to Manager Tools. Authenticity and the Manager Tools Trinity, part two. This cast answers these questions. Is the Manager Tools Trinity authentic? How can I be authentic and use the Trinity? How do I counter the argument that the Trinity is formulaic? If you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. 2020 is well underway. We're hosting 37 public events in over 20 cities worldwide this year. Check out the calendar on our website, manager-tools.com forward slash training, and see when we'll be in your area. We really try hard to make it as available to everyone as possible. But of course, if you can't do it, there's also video as well. Hope to see you there. All right. So how did... How do we address authenticity and the Trinity? Yeah, I was so excited to to be able to share the issue around values. Um, there are many, many things. But by the way, I don't mean to point fingers at the young people of today, 2020, because Mike and I did this as well. Um, there are many things that young people, new professionals, and they don't have to be young, somebody who's just joining the professional workplace even later in life, might say that the things I'm looking for are values. And in fact, there are preferences and there are certain things that are organizational values and uh, human values that outrank preferences. I'm just laughing when you talk about when we were young, we we pushed back on things. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, oh my God. We, I am pretty sure we had told the story about, I know I did. I mean, I think, and I think you chimed in because if you don't know, guys, Mike and I knew each other at the academy. We graduated how many years ago? 40? 40 years ago? Rough, almost 38 yeah. years ago. And then we served together in Hawaii in one of the greatest organizational unit transformations anyone will ever see, thanks to our commander, Colonel Texera. And I was fairly famous for being... <laughs> <laughs> Not just apolitical, but anti-political, and I would—I didn't have any problem pissing off anybody if I believed I was right, which I learned later I could get away with because my results were so good and my relationship with my bosses were so good. But really, that wasn't a good career strategy. You learned it much sooner than I did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I but but you did it much less. Um, Oh, I did it much. I did it much less. So therefore, I didn't get as much pain when I yeah. engaged in that behavior. Yeah. And only after I got out of the army and went into professional life did I have a manager tell me, um, uh, "Dude, <laughs> yeah, it's not working." I think what you said was you got you told some VP what you thought uh, without much uh, uh, shaping or or carefulness. And your uh, boss yeah, took I guess I'd say my, hey, my face was uh, one inch from his face. I guess oh, okay. I guess right. well, say that's, that's with, with a lot level of, of color. I, yeah. And I think your boss took you aside later, as I recall, and said, hey, Mike, you're the best team leader we have here. And you're like feeling great. And then she says, and that's all you'll ever be. <laughs> that's, <unless>. right. <laughs> that's right. That's what I mean by I learned it late. Yeah. But man, that was a wake up call. Anyway, we, we digress. Yeah. But Sorry, folks, we, we've if if you're young and yeah. you you feel like um being bold is good and all that we 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 agree <laughs> and we don't <laughs> yeah yeah trust me i mean we I, I think some of the best casts we've ever done in terms of helping people understand the workplaces they live in today and work in today are about politics 
And believe me, guys, I was apolitical. I was anti-political early in my career. I would tell people, I'm not going to be political. Well, I, I've learned the lesson. It took me a long time, but I don't want you to learn it as late as Mike and I did. Yeah, and, and, and dude, I, like, I, I, feel like, I feel like I interjected that, but I didn't make my point clear. My point is, Mark was, certainly, uh, and I was vocal as well. And I thought I was being authentic. I was telling the truth. I was describing facts that were on the ground. Yes. Right? And I learned that being authentic and being honest and being straightforward and being bold, there are other values that other people have and in organizations that suggest that has to be tempered a little bit. So, yep. right, is we're dealing with other people who have v different values. Yes. Um, so authentic, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and all things moderation, temperance is generally good. There you and, go. You know, it, the history of humankind is that young people, um, inexperienced people, let's put it that way, are uh, not always temperate. Uh, we certainly weren't. Uh, luckily, we were really good at our jobs, and so we had a bit of a shield. Um, but that can all change in the blink of an eye. Okay, so you asked about authenticity in the Trinity. You know, how, how do we address authenticity pushback when it's directed at our Trinity, our guidance, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, delegation? Look, we could make the same competing values argument. There also, there's more we can say here uh, to address this. But I also want to give you, those of you who want to be authentic and feel like we're attacking you, I promise you we're not. We're just trying to help people become more effective managers and professionals. I want to give you some, some leeway here because it's important to remember that the behaviors we recommend in our Trinity, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, delegation, are not supreme organizational values. We cannot just say that my one-on-ones outrank your authenticity, and that's that. We ought to be more respectful, and we ought to be more erudite than that, frankly. Even more precisely, the supreme, distinctly organizational values are results and retention. The short-term and long-term continuation of the organization in order to allow it to pursue its mission of serving society, which is, by the way, a social good irrespective of whether or not the organization is a B corporation or not. If you don't know what a B corporation is, I don't think there's a cast for that, but we've mentioned it a few times before. B standing for benefit, by the way. Um, don't worry, okay? Th those supreme values, results from retention, they're distinctly organizational values. But keep in mind, we're still a human organization, so... All organizations also carry the supreme human values as supreme organizational values, ethics, honesty, kindness, so on. But the techniques by which we achieve, we achieve results are not supreme values. They're tactics and strategies, but they're not ends, okay? This is important as we think about defending our approach to better results. Our methods are not unassailable, okay? They are one way among many. Uh, we've said before, you don't need to use manager tools, guidance about one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation in order to achieve results from retention. You're obligated to achieve results from retention, 
And if you think that doing X and Y and Z will get you results from retention and it doesn't, you have no leg to stand on if X, Y, and Z, in terms of defending X, Y, and Z, okay? But look, part of the authenticity pushback to some is a clever colleague of yours, a direct or a peer might say that the Trinity is only a tactic, whereas their authenticity is a value. And by the way, they're right. But their argument still doesn't hold water because it's also true that the organization expects us to use techniques that are sustainable, which usually means that if you're a manager and you're asked to achieve results and retention, that you're supposed to choose the techniques and tactics that will allow you to get there. But those techniques and tactics have to be sustainable, meaning Sustainable in this context means, in an organizational context means, that other people can learn how to do it, okay? And so what that means is using techniques or processes or procedures that are unique to you, that are genuine to you, that make you feel authentic, is actually antithetical to organizational success. The organization, your organization, guys, I know it's not cool or sexy to say it anymore, but your organization does not want a thousand flowers to bloom, okay? Organizations do not smile upon the singular singular individual whose abilities are authentically individualized. Our organizations prefer sustainability and repeatability. I know it sounds corny, but, but organizations developed out of society and culturally along the same path, it's the reason why everybody gets into an elevator and turns around and faces the front. There are certain customs, and we we have talked before about the difference between customs and culture, that have been adapted by humanity over time. The same thing is true for organizations. Organizations customarily do not say every manager should be their own completely individualized self. Organizations do say, we expect you to get results from retention. You may choose to pursue this individually, although in the next 50 years, guys, that will go away. But the techniques you use cannot simply be how you feel or what you know in your heart. It has to be teachable to someone else. Otherwise, we can't replace you. Now, guys, we're not saying you can't be yourself. The the person who's using the authenticity pushback will complain that our approach, following a taught model, uh, even one that, by the way, has mounds and mounds and mounds of data, is too restrictive. They'll say, no, 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 that, that, that won't let me be authentic. But guys, this isn't accurate. It only feels inauthentic that way to someone stressing their desire for authenticity. You only need to talk to 50 different managers, hell, I would even argue 25 different managers, to realize that every one of them does their one-on-ones differently, individually, and feels differently about them and gets different things from them because we're all different creatures. You can achieve personal authenticity within a structure that says the organization needs you to do one-on-ones or give performance communications. Not that you need to do it our way again. We're okay with that, but you can't just do it your way and call it good. 
and say it's authentic, so therefore it's good. And get this, despite all that diversity I mentioned in different one-on-ones, virtually every manager who does them gets higher levels of trust, which the organization knows is a key component of results and retention. But if every other, if you took the other example, if every manager were able to pursue authenticity as the overarching supreme value, if you will, and they ignored the science, yes, folks, the science of trust building and the data about what works in hierarchical organizations, there's no reason to believe that trust would win, that we would grow trust. And therefore, we wouldn't be able to assure that we would get better results. In fact, authenticity would be the reason that we didn't get better results, that we didn't get higher levels of trust, because it would insulate these managers from learning from others' experiences to make their own experience better. Okay, so we can beat that horse for another half an hour, but we've made our point. Another component of the pushback that goes by the name of authenticity is that to be one's authentic self, the models we recommend, one-on-ones and feedback come to mind, but coaching is the same way and delegation is the same way. And there are people who have used the authenticity defense (laughs) um, against all four aspects of the Trinity guidance, uh, too structured, too formulaic. But again, we have a dangerous, and I, I would argue a misleading claim, and maybe even you can make the case for dangerous, Because when we're talking about tactics and they get trumped with a value, you send a message that that value has relatively more value than any tactic in the organization, okay? But look, be clear, organizations generally prefer standardized approaches. Not that they're rigid, because I don't think one-on-ones feedback, coaching, or delegation are rigid, particularly once you've listened to people implement them. Um. It feels rigid compared to a laissez-faire approach previously, but not all things are as they appear, and how we feel about things does not prove it to be so. And authenticity is a feeling. Now, you may not like the fact that the organization prefers some standardization, but the organization does. Standardized approaches can be measured and improved and, again, taught to others which is the sustainability piece. Organizations don't decry, don't complain about individual effort and creativity. Far from it, organizations want it. They know it will come out. There's no way around it. Human beings are not to be subdued without enormous effort. And they'll know it'll come out even if it is narrowed and applied in a focused way, which is, of course, what the organization wants. But for those very same reasons, organizations are not built to allow every individual member to flourish completely based on their own individual desires and needs. That's not why organizations exist. Organizations are built with the assumption that members joining it understand that they are giving up some of their individual freedoms and desires in return for the greatness achieved by aligning yourself with others in the service of a societal goal that couldn't be achieved without the association that the organization provides. And this is really the core of the authenticity argument against templated or structured communications, which is what one-on-ones and feedback and coaching and delegation are. 
we're basically in the gray area between where the individual has great freedom and the organization has to apply some framework to get the magnification of abilities that specialization of labor allows. My favorite example of this is Excel spreadsheets. No offense against Google and other other uh, uh, things, but Excel is the the market leader and and was the first really significant Lotus one two three. Don't get me wrong, fantastic product, but Excel has become incredibly dominant. And the idea that you would try to run a company free of spreadsheets and the power of spreadsheets and formulas and budgeting is probably mind boggling to most people. I'm sure there have been plenty of founders who have lost their jobs by saying, I, I'm tired of spreadsheets. I don't want spreadsheets. Uh, it's just like a vendor of ours once said, could we please stop talking about deliverables? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Wait, I'm tired of formulas. I'm tired of math. <laughs> I'm, just tired. I'm tired of math. Can we just deal with that math? I just want to create my product and have people like it and buy it and we'll work out the math later. Now, which is right, the organization or the individual? Neither one is right. And so when you have a, a clash like this, not that it's a clash, it's a positive clash in many ways. Neither one is right, but you end up having these kinds of issues where an individual says, I want to be authentic, and the organization says, no, we don't have as much leeway for that as you might like. But at the frontline managerial level, it is probably uncontestable that authenticity does not protect someone from change or new behaviors, which they may, themselves might not have chosen for themselves. The organization needn't provide a smorgasbord of behaviors and leave each manager to his or her own. And you know what? One-on-one's feedback coaching delegation, they're all a form of structured or templated communications in service of larger organizational goals. It's funny, people say, oh, that's too formulaic. But I can give you a couple of examples of everyday life that has structured or templated uh, communications that people take for granted and actually it benefits all of our lives in many ways, and yet people don't even think about it. Um, suppose a Starbucks barista were to resist the part of the training that Starbucks gave it where they were taught how orders were given and taken. Suppose, for instance, that in passing along an order from themselves to the person making the drink for the Starbucks customer, that makes my mouth water just saying it, uh, as we're recording this in the morning and I could use another cup of coffee. Suppose the barista said it felt more authentic to them, uh, to this barista, to say, macchiato, skinny grande. Now, if I say it that way, chaos, it absolutely, chaos would ensue. <laughs> yeah. But you know what's funny is everybody knows what I'm getting at. It grates against the ear for those who have ordered coffee in the past 15 years or so. And look, even if you've not been to a Starbucks, you intuitively grasp that there is a learned behavioral value, which, by the way, is not necessarily reason. We didn't get there by reason. We got there by trial and error and interaction, which is what culture and society are. There's a learned behavioral value in ordering coffee in a certain way. For instance, the size has to be said first because the cup to be used is sized. And what's more, they have to write a name and an order on the cup. 
which they do while you're finishing your order, like grande, skinny, macchiato, which, by the way, I don't even know what macchiato is, still don't. Now, do we really think that every coffee firm in the world just copied Starbucks' model? I suspect some people did. Uh, some companies said, let's just do what Starbucks does because it's working for them. We don't need to come up with our own way of ordering coffee. But some didn't. They said, we're not going to do it the Starbucks way. But guess what? They probably ended up within 98% of what Starbucks did because they have millions of interactions that have proven to them efficiencies and effectiveness that make sense. Okay? And look, if those firms in this case, with customers, interestingly enough. Think about that. Customer outranks everybody else. If those firms can insist on some templated, structured communications, on something as simple as a coffee order, which individual's authenticity could get in the way of a firm trying to help all managers and their directs get to know one another, build trust, deliver performance communications? when it comes to one-on-ones and feedback. Folks, my new book came out a couple of months ago, The Effective Hiring Manager. It tells you everything you need to know about how to become an effective hiring manager, how to screen resumes, how to screen social media, how to conduct phone screens. And you know us, when we say how to, it's very specific what to do and what not to do. How to schedule your day of interviews, why you shouldn't ever do a panel interview, heaven forbid. Uh, how to structure your interviewing day, how to make decisions, and how to communicate offers and lack of offers and handling multiple candidates, and so on. You can get it on Amazon and probably your local bookstore as well. I'm going to give you another example. This is a particularly fun one for me because at some level, socially, culturally, custom-wise, I knew it. But my brother Walt only pointed this out to me in the last five years or so. If you're talking about a thing and you're going to describe it, typically the, the form of language that you use to describe a thing are adjectives. You say something is big and blue, a big blue truck, okay? Now, you just heard me say big blue truck, and if you're comfortable with English as a first language or as your second language and you're fairly fluent, it makes sense to you. But it would bug the crap out of you if I said the guy had a blue big truck. It bugs you. I know it does. I've seen it on people's faces. The point is, you may not know it, but there is a correct or an understood or an accepted and more effective in communication order of adjectives in the English language. When you talk about a thing and you're going to modify it, there's an order, there's an acceptable order. And I'll give you other examples too. First, you say the quantity or the number. Then you make an opinion statement, a quality statement, and then you talk size, age, shape, color, proper adjective like it's from Canada, and then maybe a purpose, okay? Uh, And and there are so many examples of this. Um, I, I, I I printed out a bunch of them, and they're all just so 
if you say them wrong, they're, it's weird. It feels bad. I just bought a pair of new, nice, red rain boots. I just bought a pair of nice, new, red rain boots. I just bought a pair of red, nice, new rain boots. All three of those are very close. And by the way, we have alliteration there with red and rain and nice and new. But there's only one that works. Okay? It's A in this example. Nice, new, red rain boots. Not new, nice. Okay? Because that violates the order that we've accepted. Now, how did these things come about? Did, did we write rules? No, there were no rules written. People learn that through thousands of interactions. Okay? That's the, I think some people call that the king's order, but, or the queen's order, but it's not. It's just the order of adjectives. Think about it this way. I mentioned Excel spreadsheet. Consider the structure and formality and even rigidity of a formula used in an Excel spreadsheet. You forget a parenthesis. You forget a parenthesis in a, in a, in a spreadsheet and a formula in the, in the formula tab there at the top of the, the spreadsheet. You're doomed. You're going to get an error message and you have to go back and parse it. I'm, I'm you know, fairly certain this happens in software development as well, right? Um, why isn't anybody arguing about that? structure, that formality. Maybe people have decided that Excel spreadsheets are unassailable, but they're certainly not a supreme value. They're just a tactic, tactic a technique. Um, so th the point here is that structured and templated communications are necessary for efficiency. And it's reasonable for organizations to ask people to engage in structured and templated communications. Example, not everybody talks at once in a meeting. One person talks at a time. And there's an order, and you know what order you're in if your meeting is well run. You don't get to talk an unlimited amount of time. We've learned these things the hard way over tens of millions, hundreds of millions of human interactions. There's a best way or best as of this time. And of course, once you establish that this is our way, then you start doing it that way. You now then can take it to the next level, but you can't if you're stuck in version zero. Now, look, when it comes to our feedback model, our managerial feedback model, we have a great many anecdotes describing how our model was initially awkward or uncomfortable. People tell us this all the time. But we also know hundreds of thousands of managers who say neither they nor their directs are any longer uncomfortable in any way. They've basically gotten over the McGuire hump of the horseman curve, right? To the land of milk and honey where it takes you less effort to get more output. But that would have been forbidden to them had they insisted on their authenticity or shrunk shrank back from the idea of trying a new way of talking to their people about performance because it was awkward. You don't get paid to do what you like or what feels good. You get paid to do what's effective, right? Look, well, don't and, get me and wrong. I just add there, and if you've never done it before, you've never done one-on-ones before, how do you know what is effective? That's why I use a template. That's a great, well, that's a great point because what I think the people who I've had conversations with about authenticity say it doesn't matter. 
I know what I do feels good to me. And of course, they use language like that. It feels this way. Yeah, as if feeling, right, As like you said, as if feeling good is the objective there. Like this goes back to when you consulted with me for my organization, I don't know how many decades back. Oh, a long time ago. But you asked me, talking about one-on-ones. Hey, Mike, do you do one-on-ones with your folks? Go, yeah, I do one-on-ones every week with all my directs. Yeah, they're an hour, whatever, hour and a half. They were long, but I did them, right? He said, well, can I sit in on them? said, sure. Sure, no problem. Boring. You know. know. Right, then afterwards you go like, dude, that's not a one-on-one. What do you mean it's not a one-on-one? I got exactly what I wanted out of it. It was like, yeah, that's not a Because my one-on-one was me for an hour and a half. Grill. I I would not say grilling. They may have, but asking yeah. a series of questions about where yeah. we're on this, where we're on that, what's the budget on that, how much we're yeah. that, right? And at the end, I got answers to all my questions. There was no relationship building going on None. there. <laughs> None. Yeah, and in fact, there's some people think of that as a good one-on-one, and I would argue I'm happy to have a manager tell me, dude, if that's what you think a one-on-one is, try my way and see if you don't still get what you want, but in fact, end up getting other things as well. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So look, guys, don't get don't get us wrong here. Organizations want individual energy and they want creativity, but within a framework desired to get results and retention. To assert our own authenticity about managerial behaviors isn't really defensible. The place to find authenticity is in your choice of a culture of a firm or an industry or a role. It's not to be a measure against every behavior, process, procedure, task, deliverable, everybody, each individual has to brush up against. That's it. Okay, so I want to summarize. Look, guys, it is good to know yourself, what you like, what you're good at, what makes you authentic, what is singular value that you provide the organization. But as a professional, what you are reasonably capable of becoming to improve your value to the organization takes precedence over who you are now. Authenticity can't be an excuse for not embracing better ways of performance. Again, remember, we don't get paid to do what we like. We get paid to be effective. Awesome, dude. I enjoyed that one. Oh, that was way fun. I really enjoyed the whole values discussion. We should have more discussions about values in our podcast, I think. Yeah, great. Folks, to finish up, our long-term licensee this week is Gordon Green. Gordon has been with us, created his account only five or six months after we started in February of 06. And he's been with us ever since. And we really appreciate guys like Gordon who have been doing this, been with us essentially since the beginning. That tells us that we're providing good value. And Gordon, we tip our hat for you allowing us to serve you. It's a privilege to do it. That's it, everybody. Come back next week. You'll enjoy it. I promise. <laughs>